Strangler Lewis was a notorious tough man in the beginning of the 20th century. He entered professional wrestling as it was a burgeoning entertainment This form. was before the term serial killer. This was before the... Uh, I don't know if it was before the term <laughs> serial killer. It was after Jack the Ripper. Uh, but yeah, it was... Right, the Strangler. Gotcha. He's one of the guys who solidified what pro wrestling would become for the next 80 years in America. Him along with promoter Toots Mont and his manager... Um, what was his manager's first Sandow. name? Sandow. Sandow. Um, uh, Billy Sandow. Billy Sandow. Known as the Gold Dust Trio. They Wait, came was up he with, related to legendary strongman Eugene Sandow? I don't know. That's the, are, are you familiar with him? He no. He was arguably the first, like, lifting star of <laughs> America, uh, and he is also uh, a character, a, a minor character in the Venture Brothers, okay. uh, or a fictionalized uh, version of him. I got levels. Um, Butts. You, <clears throat> you are listening. High levels. High. Butts. High butts. You okay. are listening to High Butts, the <laughs> podcast where we talk about high-waisted <laughs> jeans and what you can do uh, to wear them in public or by yourself. Uh, and you might think that they were just for moms in the 80s, but they're for everybody now. So get ready for an hour of that shit. He's not getting paid to say that, but if you'd like to pay him to say that, please Speaking contact yeah. us. Speaking of hot 80s moms, how many of y'all would jump on Karen Wheeler? Um. Wait, is that Winona Ryder? No, that Winona. is uh, that is Karen Wheeler. That is the one that almost fucked fucked Billy. Uh, oh yeah, like, yeah, 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 for yeah, sure. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> that whole lineup at the pool. <laughs> that whole I, I was into. And pretty much Joyce, ev- also Joyce, right? Pretty much everybody in that show who is over the age of eighteen, I would at least like get naked with and like and like hug. You are listening to contesting wrestling. This is episode number five ish we are the podcast where we talk about everything that fans love and everything everybody else maybe doesn't about the world's most popular form of simulated combat the basic idea of this show is that we've all been friends for many many years uh we'll go around and introduce ourselves one of them is a professional wrestler one of them is an academic with a lifelong love of wrestling i am somebody who generally doesn't care for it and we are on a journey where I can try to understand why people enjoy wrestling and what what is cool about it. I am a writer. Oh, my name is Evan Burke. Let's throw this to my co-host, Ben Abelson. I am Dr. Ben Abelson. I am a professor of philosophy at Mercy College and uh, a lifelong fan of professional wrestling. Um, Yeah, and I'm going to tell you about why wrestling is good. My name is Doc Diamond Fire. I've been in the professional wrestling world for about 10 years. Um, I've trained in a couple of places, most notably with Johnny Rods and then with Chikara for several years. You'll hear me on commentary in Chikara, wrestle the occasional matches, uh, do commentary for a group called Ironbound Wrestling Alliance. Uh, I've been doing it in the Bronx. Uh, at me if you'd like to book me and listen to this podcast to learn why you'd like to book me. And today we have uh, a special guest, a fourth chair for the first time. This guest is inspired by the question, which is the question most, I think, pe- new people to wrestling would ask. Why are refs? What does a ref do? What is the point of a referee in this match? And so we brought a referee in to explain to my dumbass what refing is. And so, please introduce yourself. Hello. Why are refs indeed, Evan? Why are refs? This is Betsy Ross, a.k.a. B. Ross. You can follow me on Twitter at B. Chikar Ross, or you can also find my email for bookings. Book me. Use me. I love refing. Please let me count at your things. It's how I live. If we get out of line, she'll count at us rather sternly. One. So keep it. Keep, actually, it, uh, yeah, we keep re- it together. We really actually probably should have had her on the past episodes. <laughs> One. I kind of need someone counting at me all the time. To get me to not, you know, do things to not that I'm not supposed to holds do. On the ropes, ben. I would like to propose that the thing that you are describing is a li- is something called mortality. The knowledge that you have a limited amount of time and every day you eat a little bit more of that time and you're never getting it back. We've gone off the rails. In yeah, the first we've got. Well, oh, so um, we're talking about death, and naturally that leads to the man who. Either is Dung. death, or is death's emissary, or is death's like helper. Or I don't understand the nature of the man that we call the Undertaker. He helps people go to the other side. He's the Grim Reaper. He's basically. undead. Well, okay. So all we those are all different things, though. This is what he's I'm all very of confused, those things. He's, he's all a of character them. for a long time. Like for, for the real explanation, 
He's managed to reinvent himself while still being unquestionably The Undertaker for almost 30 years now. Every few years, he adds a little something to his act. He takes a little something away. Some of the changes are more extreme than others. You know, the first change was they just got a better remix of his music and he put on purple gloves instead of gray ones. And uh, one time he stopped being an undead wizard and just came out as a biker who called himself The Undertaker <laughs> for a few years. And you know what? He made it work. It's a, he had a midlife crisis. He There's came out to Kid Rock. And oh, yeah. Limp Biscuit. And Limp Biscuit. Um, he stood I, I, on stage with Limp Biscuit at WrestleMania one year. And then one year he was just like, now nah, I'm the Undertaker again, put the hat and the coat back on. And he was an undead wizard once again. And Limp Biscuit were announced that year as the WWE's favorite band in the entire world. I, I remember. And they still are. I remember that moment very clearly, and it was uh, actually instrumental into leading to this podcast in a lot of ways, because I wouldn't have <laughs> my distaste for wrestling had it not been, at least in part, for Limp Biscuit. And uh, your disdain for Limp Biscuit? Well, yeah, 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 okay. yeah, one, 100%. I'm pretty, I'm not as disdained at Limp Biscuit as I used to be because he, uh, because Doc forced me not to be. I guess I'm more anti-Fred Durst, I guess. Like, you can have... Uh, Fred Durst is, is, uh is not positive on the world. No. I think no. we can agree on that. <laughs> Fred, Fred Durst is definitely pushing us is pushing us into the red as a society. Yes. Um, he he wore he wore red hats before everyone else did. So I think the idea with the Undertaker is originally he was supposed to just be an Undertaker back when all the wrestlers like their their gimmick was that they had another job besides wrestling. I don't know, was the economy really bad at the time or something? Did people but, couldn't believe that they were just wrestlers. They were like, yeah. I don't think this is all this guy is doing for a living. Like, Right, and then so I guess the idea is like, well, you know, Undertakers are kind of creepy, and maybe like you might be suspicious, well, maybe this guy is actually really dead himself, and that's why he likes being around cadavers so much. Has he ever had powers of any kind, magical abilities? Oh, yes, he's yeah. been able to shoot lightning, teleport in various ways. He's um, risen from the dead once or twice. So I asked Betsy, what are what are two matches that are an example of great refing and an example of terrible refing so I can understand what is, what is the difference? So I picked two matches that just by coincidence happened to take place in 2008. The good refing one features... Jimmy Corderas and Charles Robinson both as referees. It is from Mania t WrestleMania 24, and it is Edge versus Undertaker. Everyone involved in that match just does an amazing job. It's an amazing match, but the refs really like took it to another level too. There, uh, for a bad match, I went to good old late 2000s TNA and got Bound for Glory 2008. Monsters Ball four-way tag match featuring special guest referee, which, by the way, is almost always a sign of bad refing about to happen. Mongo McMichael. Mongo McMichael was a very entertaining wrestler. He was never that great, was he? <laughs> Those are two very different qualities. Yes. Like, I like watching well, Mongo matches because it looks like they didn't tell him it was fake and he just ran into people and then dropped them on their head and they let him because he was a football player. Just those pile drivers he looks. I'm surprised uh. no one ever got... Like, like every time the person the person was on the show the next week after taking one, I'm like, oh, he's still alive. That's nice. Yeah. And like... So that that guy, the ref in the bad matches, was primarily a football player. He won yes. the Super Bowl for Chicago. He has, he has in the a 80s. Super Bowl ring. Like he was part of like the very famous Chicago Bears. Yeah, you, know, you ever hear the Super Bowl Shuffle? I think so. I believe he was on that track. It was a hit in the eighties. It okay. was a, yeah. Then he was an announcer for WCW, and he was pretty bad at that as well, but in a kind of entertaining way because he was just so rambly yeah, he, and incoherent. Incoherent, yeah, completely. He brought a little dog with him and who would dress up the little dog and they'd get shots of that. Did people like him because since he came from football, like that adds some sort of a veneer? People of... didn't like him. People, no, yeah, people didn't <laughs> like him. No, they were like, why is this guy who's not a wrestler on the show? And they were like, so people in who knew who he was. People liked him ironically. Yeah, people like him more now because you watch it and you're like, this is amusing because he clearly isn't talking about it. I'm sure he's a very nice guy. And not only Maybe. did they did they then make him a wrestler, which he wasn't very good at, but they made him a member of the Four Horsemen, like the, one of the most elite stables of wrestlers. It was Ric Flair's stable. History. 
This this is all primarily, by the way, while he was still in his physical prime. Like, he yeah. was a little beat up from football, but he was still fairly young. He was in his mid-30s. He yeah. Could, he could do it. So you know. let's flash to 10 years later when he's, like, 50 and hasn't been in the business for, what, like, a decade now? Yeah, by the time the Bound for Glory match happens, his knees clearly didn't work. His hips clearly hadn't He worked. doesn't look you, like you, he's tried to touch his toes in about a decade. You know yeah. what you need to be able to do? I thought as, Abyss was coming out without his mask on when I first watched it. You know what's really important as a ref? Is and I've seen so many people who tried to train like as refs that didn't understand this. Is you you need to be able to move. I remember one person in particular. It's like uh, they were training to be a ref with me, and their knee like they couldn't get on the ground fast enough. Uh, so, so you put someone whose knees don't work in a ring as a ref, it's never going to work that well. Well, yeah, I was going to ask. I, I had some some questions here uh, that I was thinking about while I was watching this. So are refs people who also wrestle? Like, are they are they also are they also wrestlers or is it like is it a different track kind of any good ref knows how to wrestle. They don't necessarily do it like I don't I don't do it as of right now because I'm not good enough at it. Um, hope Hopefully at some point soon I'll be good enough at it. But some refs never wrestle a match. Uh, one of the best referees in wrestling right now is Mr. Bryce Remsburg. He has yet to wrestle a single match, but he's trained as a wrestler. I've never personally trained with him, but everyone I've asked said he could out-wrestle pretty much anyone in the room. I think historically, refs were often uh, wrestlers who trained who were just kind of undersized. Yeah. Uh, back in the day before uh, there there was a variety of, of body types and sizes of wrestlers um, when you kind of had to be pretty big uh, physically in order to do it. Um, the people who were who were smaller ended up as refs. You did still uh, to this day, though, you have to be in very good shape. You, you can't like one thing that Betsy was was uh, was alluding to is that she's trained with and I've seen people who thought, oh, I'll be a ref. And they thought that meant they didn't have to be in good shape. They didn't le- have to learn how to wrestle. It would just be a free ticket into the ring. And they also like we're going to explore on this podcast. They don't know what the ref really does and how important it is and how precision it is and how much you really have to be right there with the timing of an athlete Bryce Remsburg I've seen ref hours on end because other refs weren't available he'll finish his match he'll run in the curtain chug some water do a couple of incline push-ups to keep his blood going and run back to the ring he also recently refed this match where he was the only performer in the ring no he wasn't there was two invisible men okay <laughs> fair enough this <laughs> all right, yeah. This 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 sounds like a brilliant piece of. of we should watch that. Right there. Yeah, that sounds. Why amazing. don't we watch that? Why don't That's, we show Evan that? We should show Evan that at some point for, for sure. Yeah. At some for point for this too. episode, it would make sense. Uh, well, we'll have to. I'm sure we'll also do. I mean, we're hoping to have you know hundreds of episodes, so we'll yeah. do we'll do yeah. we'll do more refs in the future. Eventually, we want to get into the more sort of absurdist performance arty kind of stuff. I think yeah. maybe we'll save yeah. that. For yeah, you. we're I'm, still keeping it fairly basic here. The yeah. most out there thing we'll do is introduce Evan to Mongo. I'm yeah, oh I'm, I'm still I'm just learning about uh, the Undertaker now and Edge, who what a delightful character this <laughs> this this gentleman is. Uh, the rated who, R superstar. She's How the, young do you have to be for that to sound like edgy to you? I get. Uh, <laughs> I I. <laughs> hmm. Yeah, I'm gonna say that's an 11 to 14 range. I hated Edge so much at that point, at that at that age. I wasn't in wrestling yet. I was just a fan of wrestling. I I wanted Edge dead. In the storyline, he was engaged to the beloved Eddie Guerrero's widow. That was the lady at the Vicky. beginning. Yes. Yes. Because that was nice. It's nice to see people come out and support, you know, their loved ones. I don't know. I mean, Vicky was such an amazing performer. Depending, (laughs) depending on your perspective, that's either the most tasteless thing or one of the most tasteless things that WWE has ever done. What have I just defended? Or, or this like wonderful um, instance in which they supported someone's family. in well, the wake of Vicky their death. became an excellent performer. They gave her the chance to develop, but by the time she got her groove going, she was the hottest heel in wrestling. 
you know, if you've ever been to an arena where she comes out, you know, it's the the heat. I can only really describe it as to when I was a teenager going to Madison Square Garden and I would see The Rock come out when he was a heel before he turned face and the crowd would be chanting Rocky sucks on the first beat of his music. The first. They would hear the first note and immediately they all knew that was the Ra. And, uh... And with, he did with pretty Vicky, good for himself, as it turns out. With Vicky, it was the, excuse me. Yeah, she sounded like every awful second grade teacher you've ever had. Me and Doc were at the Rumble, and when that excuse me hit, the place <laughs> popped and then um, that, for just a second, yeah. and then immediately drowned into booze. And it had yeah. been years by that, that since we had seen Vicky on TV at that point. And that's that really strange ambivalence with wrestling fans where they really, really, really loved to hate her. So much, but they, but in a sense, to, to they, the point where, like, you know, it gives you pause. Well, there's a there's a fondness yeah, that comes a fondness. for this despised character, yeah. just because they've given you so much enjoyment in despising them. It's really like it's hard to to really put it like this, but it's not malicious. There had been times in wrestling history where that kind of heat was malicious, but like those times are kind of past. Some people think that was the only real heat. I don't know. I disagree. I think characters like Vicky Guerrero is what they need right now, where people will come to to boo her and to see her as the villain, like lose and all that. Few people can pull it off as consistently and as hard. I, I'll have to see some stuff with her because now I feel like there oh, yeah. are huge dimensions to this character who. And at least was tossed off. Well, pretty, she, she pretty wasn't a physical match, yeah. character at all. She'd yeah. occasionally take like a bump here and there, but like mm. she wasn't really a wrestler. She was an auxiliary character, and she played all the auxiliary characters. Edge strikes me as somebody who he's a face wrestler, not in the sense of like the heel face dichotomy, but that in most of his wrestling ability seems to come from his face. He's like a commedia dell'arte fucking like Pagliacci clown character. I can see why. The, he actually had a career afterwards as a character actor on. Yeah. yeah he's on that show Haven, which he is gets like work. Yeah, like he and no, I, he seems like a really good. He seems like a good actor. Like this was this was the first match that I've seen where I got the acting part of wrestling really that you guys have shown me. Where the other the other ones have had characters who I got I got the story and I like sort of what they were trying to say. But this is the first one where it really seemed like two dudes who are. Truly expressing their characters. And The Undertaker, of course, uh, is perhaps the greatest example of a wrestler expressing a character effectively. Going back to talking about The Undertaker gimmick, the sort of amazing thing about him is that that character, that gimmick, could have been the stupidest thing ever. It yeah. Could've, it could have been the wrong hands. Yeah. Absolutely awful and cartoony and dumb. And he brought it to life in a way that made it the most effective, most successful wrestling character in history. He he comes out wearing what I can only describe as a sort of like uh like a sex tarp, kind of like <laughs> I don't I don't even know what you could possibly call that. Like that's well, I think it was very Hellraiser inspired. I think. Do you think okay. so? So sex tarp is probably did, accurate. Yes. Yeah. yeah. That, okay. That makes do, little sense. Do you think he sleeps in a tent that gives him sexual powers? According to his wear in this match, and then he took it off, and he's just got like I guess what are supposed to look like leather pants and a <laughs> yes. tank top. But that is what I mean. Yeah, that is the sex tarp. I don't know. Maybe he's got that in the coffin. He comes out looking very sweaty. So maybe he's uh, wearing yeah. that in the coffin. No hat this time. Also. No hat this time. I wonder what happened to his hat. That's usually a big part of his costume. Maybe it caught fire. Subject One time his happened. pyro went off errantly and his big coat caught fire. And like he usually comes out all stoic and they put the camera on him and it's just him like waving his arms, pulling his jacket off. like <laughs> oh, Running to the ring. The ground, runs to the ring all angry. Like we'd better get this match over with before these <laughs> inevitable second degree burns set in. Damn it. And he did. I will say because he's the Undertaker. <laughs> one of the great things about this match, so they talk about you know the the Undertaker WrestleMania streak, and at this point it was fifteen matches, mm -hmm. fifteen and zero. It's probably not the greatest match of the WrestleMania streak. Most people talk about Undertaker versus Shawn Michaels. Yes, that that is that is in my opinion the greatest match of his streak. But I think, and some people think that's the greatest match of all time, actually. Um, so. But I think part of what was so great about that Undertaker-Shawn Michaels match was they were both already starting to fall apart a little bit, and that sort of added to the drama of it. Whereas 
at this point in the Edge Undertaker match that we're talking about, Undertaker, despite being well into his 40s, is still at the height of his powers at this point. And he, he pulls off a lot of really cool, innovative, athletic stuff. If anything, the guy that's more broken is Edge. You mentioned how much he expresses in his face. He learned how to do that, at least in part, because he had broken his neck. And he had, like, neck fusion surgery. And his, his career was on borrowed time. He only wrestled a few more years after that. Until one day they told him, if you wrestle anymore, you could just be paralyzed. So tonight's your last match. And that was that. Yeah, he had, like, he was sort of more of a big spot type wrestler before that. He was in, like, the original TLC matches, tables, ladders, and chairs matches. And so, yeah, he was known for taking these big risks and stuff. Sort of like he would push things to the edge. Right. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. You're and getting it. You're getting he it. I, he might as well have edgy tattooed like across his nipples like so he had so to, 90s yeah so after he broke his neck his music is done by a cut rate creed band that i called rules yo, in uh, my head. yo, yo evan, the guitar evan, work but oh evan. my god he doesn't know evan is he it actually know. is it actually creed no it's alter bridge it's Creed without Scott Stapp. <laughs> so you uh, nailed it. Man. I did nail it's, it. It's Creed with another singer. I oh, did nail it. Yeah. But good, yo, look, the, I'm good for you, Mark Tremonti. Yeah, yo, good for the you, guitar, Mark Tremonti. <laughs> Tremonti is freaking awesome look, on that track. Man. Tremonti's not a up, bad. Yes. Tremonti wasn't the problem with Creed. That's a whole other cool. conversation. Only only people between the ages of 32 and 37 are going to understand. I kind <laughs> of, I about. kind of get yep. it. Yeah. <laughs> I know that I know that Alter Bridge is Creed without Scott Stapp. I know yes, that much. that already is a burden of knowledge. But yeah, so <laughs> so after so so as we say after no, Alter Bridge is Creed without Scott yeah. Stapp. Yeah. I'm sorry. Yeah. So after breaking his neck he had to become edgy in a different way. Mm. And so there was a lot of, uh, at the time it wasn't, they hadn't reverted to this PG thing yet. So they could kind of push the envelope in terms of sex and violence a little bit more. Um, after winning his first WWE title, he had what he called a live sex celebration. A nipple fell out. Uh, with his then um, real life, at least sometime lover, uh, Lita. That was her nipple that fell out. Yeah, it was Lita's nipple. And that's that's a really interesting story in and of itself and led to Edge's success to a large degree because there was this real life thing that happened where Lita, who was dating another wrestler, Matt Hardy, uh, cheated on him with Edge and it got out. And that sort of turned the whole fan base against Edge. They were, I think they were. He was already a heel, but he like was. it made yeah. them hate him in with a kind of genuine passion that they that they hadn't hated him with before that, and that propelled him to the main well, event. Some of it you got to under. Devin will never quite get that, I don't think, because some of it was the fandom had always like even even like the serious wrestling fans had always like shipped so to speak matt and lita super hard too yeah. like they were like one of the like first couples in wrestling lita cheated on matt with one of his best friends edge so how much of all that actually happened that all actually happened all of that, that, that was, happened. so that yes. was all like straight up real yes and so. then and then turned into a wrestling storyline yes, matt exactly. hardy okay. went right. crazy and got fired and they and he worked the indies for a couple of months and then they rehired him to to work a program with edge which he did because he's a professional and they offered him a lot of money doc and i were at madison square garden the night that the crowd turned on lita because lita yeah. was still a baby face in the storyline but the crowd knew of all about this real stuff that was happening and slut shamed her can, for it can you yes. refresh my memory what was what storyline was she in it uh in kayfabe at the point that that happened she was feuding with trish stratus who had that doesn't narrow it down ben who no had, not at all. She feuded with Trish Stratus for like six years. When Trish had Big Daddy V in her corner. Ah. Or was he Big Daddy V yet? Or is he still Viscera? I think Viscera? he was Viscera, the world's I think largest he was still love Viscera, machine. Yeah. Well, he wasn't the world's largest love no. machine yet. I don't think because... Evan, uh, you want to see a sex target. Because you gotta the see crowd Viscera. turned on Lita, yeah. it ended up inadvertently turning Big Daddy V face. Right. And I think right. that led to the world's largest Viscera, love the machine. World's largest Isn't love that machine. eventually when uh, he turns on Trish, though, and like squishes her and takes her out for a bit? Maybe. I'm feeling very alienated right now. I'm sorry, and we got then, off track. Yeah, it's, it's like when people yeah. start talking about World of Warcraft. Oh, you yeah. get far enough into it, you're like, I know this it, all makes oh, sense. Oh, but I know, I know. I I'll, don't play. I'll have you so. all on the Dark Souls podcast I record with myself. I, I, just, I do, I just, want, I do I just want to play Dark Souls sometimes. Sets of lines. 
Um, it's, it's great. It's on the Switch. It is. It is. I saw a guy playing it uh, next yeah. to me, and I was just like, uh oh, I should get a Switch. I do like my Switch um, very much. But yeah, so, y- the, what were they chanting at her that night? I can't remember. Well, so. Oh, my goal on. wasn't to get back on that topic. Sorry. Let's, let's, no, okay. let's, let's right, yeah, finish yeah. that up. Finish, <laughs> finish that, that up. up. Okay. Here's the short version. Trish and Lita were in the ring. They would often tra- chant like slut at Trish because she was the heel. Jesus. And then uh, Trish would turn to the crowd and point at Lita and be like, don't call her a slut. And everyone would boo. Well, they did the same thing, except the crowd was chanting slut at Lita. So when Trish turned to the crowd and said, don't call her a slut, everyone cheered. You see the psychology of all that and how it fit into wrestling do, at yeah. the time, and why it had to change quite a lot. Yeah, since I'm, that shit I'm, is dark, man. Yeah. I'm pretty sure that was the first in- the first instance of the "You've got herpes" chant. Well, well, outside I of think. ECW. Whoa. Oh yeah. Yeah. First off, isn't that like eighty percent of the human population? Yes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Like Most of yeah. us have herpes. Yeah, if you don't have herpes, like, three of us have should, herpes confirmed. Yeah. yeah. If you don't have herpes, I you don't. should feel bad. That is, right. I feel like the main takeaway I want people to have in this episode. And then there's okay. the great Edge speared Lita chant, uh, which is so Jesus. perfect because the spear is Edge's. Oh, finishing I remember move. that. Ah, so yeah. it was all it was his finishing move in in both the right. ways yeah, that so. you could mean yes. that. So refs, uh, <laughs> <laughs> one. <laughs> I like the ref. Yeah. Well, all right. So, so that's so. At first, I'm watching this match. Most um, of that's gonna get cut out. And I'm enjoying. Well, you'll you'll. Uh, I think you'll be amazed butts, how much butts, of that butts, I'm gonna butts, keep. Butts, 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 butts. Okay, that's just gonna come in and out. Yeah, that'll be that'll be the bumper between segments. It's just butts, 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 butts. Please So, so I'm watching this, and at first, I was like really trying to figure out what was appealing or uh, what was interesting about the refing in this match and then obviously later on in the match there's a really tremendous refing event yeah. but at the time i'm watching this and i'm starting to see the wrestlers communicate through refs all the time and what, yeah, all what, the time what's an example of that like ow my face my face my face is broken please tell the other guy my face is broken so we can stop the match that's that's a real good example of that <laughs> are there ways that they will coordinate through you Sort of, not just for like. If they need to, mm. it, yeah. If they need to, if they need to change something that they're doing, you got to keep them abreast of the time to in the match, right? When they have to go home. Yes, yes, absolutely. I mean, that depends on what company it is, and what the match is. Yeah, and what the match is. No. But yes, absolutely. And counting seems like. An art unto itself, kind of like not ju- not just the two counts, which are very good, but um, in this match, there's a few times where somebody's out, where somebody's out of the yes. ring, and and you got to count. And I imagine that there is a you know you're you're sort of communicating with them while you're doing this, yeah, kind of, ab- right? Yeah, like, absolutely. Well, because like if they just went outside and the ref wasn't there and I wasn't counting, how would they get back in the ring? It's the rules. Someone yeah, has to be there to, f- the even even if it's a cho- it's a choreography, you have to still have within that choreography someone who gives the illusion of there being it, of there being some sort of control. But I imagine you have to stall quite a bit as well, right? Because they're not always going to answer that ten count. Yeah. A, oh yeah. Prompt you you, you, t- you tend to learn you tend to learn real quick that like certain types of matches you count. I mean, I try to count the same at everyone because I'm a jerk. I try, I try to enforce like the same counts in all my matches because I feel like fans will notice when you're counting really slow and it takes you out of the match. I mean, if there's a specific request to me to like be a little generous, then I will oblige that. But if you slow it down too much, it's then like for that one match, it looks out of place next to the rest of the. That's just me though. But I'm always going to listen to, like, that's always up to the promoter. In, in the oh. end, it's whoever. Well, some promoters tell their refs to be really hard. Yeah. To be like, you're in charge. This is real. If the guys mess up, just call it real. So, some promoters don't. So if you get to, like, an eight count on the outside and it looks like these guys are not going to make it back by 10 if you keep your the pace that you're at, what what do you do? If I get to 10 and they're not in the ring when they're supposed to get in the ring and they refuse to get in the ring, you have to end the match, even if it's not what was supposed to happen. So you'll, you'll just go to 10? 
Yeah, and I mean, th- if it's Jakara, I'll go to 20. Or, or 20. Lucha rules and stuff. I get thrown off whenever anyone says 8 anymore because I've just done so much refing in Chikara under the 20 counts. So sure. We- How much of refing is real? Like, in the same way that wrestling is not real in the sense of it being a contest, but it's very real in the sense that it is trained people doing wrestling on each other and stuff like that. Like, to what degree are you... To what degree are you enforcing any kind of a rule, or to what degree are you making decisions independent of the wrestlers? I mean, only if the the only reason I should have to like make a decision, like a real decision, and, and uh, Doc, you can back me up on this one if yeah. I'm wrong, because you're more experienced in the business than I do. I have five years, if anyone's wondering. Yeah. Two years of, only two years of action, less than two actually, of oh. actually performing in front of I've, I've been around significantly longer than you. Yeah. You've certainly reffed a lot of matches. Um, repeat your question, uh, Evan, I'm sorry. Just the essence of it. Um, so how much of what you yeah. do is real in the sense of how much are you enforcing the rules as they may be and how much are you making decisions independent of the two wrestlers i have the authority to do so if i absolutely have to i shouldn't most of it's like still part of the choreography and 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 communication and and making sure no one gets hurt things like that but i would say like i have the authority to call something if something's going wrong the only reason i should be having to make real on the fly decisions is if something's gone wrong to what degree do you need to sort of assert your authority with the wrestlers? So is there a sort of real struggle to some degree in terms of them trying to get away with things? Oh, and- yeah. Like all the time. Like not not uh, not all the time. I've had very few problems with it myself. I can only think of a couple incidents. I'm not going to go put anyone out there like that, though, of just it. it's it's so... I, I know you, you don't want to name the guy who you repeatedly asked, is there anything you need to tell me? And he said, yeah. And then you go out there and he does some blatant cheating move directly yes. in front of you. Yeah, he blew the mist in someone's face. And like, it was the first time you were working for that promoter. So you didn't just want to disqualify the guy. Whoa. So you didn't. And like, so we're not going to say who that is, but that happened. And that's the kind of struggles that reps have to go through. And then everything looks like bullshit. Right. Because... Then everything looks well, terrible. Wait, what, what happened? Okay, so maybe we shouldn't cut this story if we're not going to name names. Just don't, don't name names. Don't be specific. Yeah, if, if you, if you mess to. up, I'll bleep something out. If you want to bury the guy, that's your choice. No, but I'm the story bur- is I'm valid. not burying anyone. Right, yeah. uh, I will go anyone. start a Twitter fight with this motherfucker tonight. Butts, 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 butts. Okay, I, that I will. I'll bleep, I'll bleep that out. Wait, the one who was the... Uh... Butts, 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 butts. Yes. yes. Oh, okay. yes. oh, he has. He got a couple big book bookings and his. Yeah, let's not actually bury this. Okay, yeah, yeah. Well, wait here. Yeah, yeah. So here, I want to hear the story. I want to hear the story. Uh, Betsy, why don't you tell us about this story where a wrestler uh, blatantly cheated in front of you and it was a problem? There was a promotion that I, was not Chikara that I worked for where I asked several times, is there anything you need to tell me before you went out there? Both said yes several times, and then one of the people in the match proceeded to spit mist in their opponent's face directly in front of me which is supposed to be an automatic disqualification so then i have to stand there and i've never worked for this place before i don't know what the promoter wants i don't know what his stance on that kind of thing is turns out i could have thrown the match out right there and then judging by the attitude of everyone in the locker room afterwards but i didn't know if i was able to make that decision so as far as like real decisions like you have to be comfortable in a place first you don't want to do anything rash in a promotion where you don't know the promoter that well and so there was an agreed upon finish that was not a disqualification because yes. of the mist. yes but they hadn't told you that the mist was supposed to factor into it at all no i think they might have honestly called it on the fly which you can't do that when there's a ref in the ring and not tell the ref uh, unless you distract the ref right yes and which they did not do. they didn't even try no. doing something like that sort of unprovoked and unplanned as a wrestler, like, that's got to be incredibly frowned upon, right? 
Yeah, uh, usually in a situation like that, if, if the referee does call for the DQ because one wrestler blatantly breaks the rules in front of the referee, when you get to the back, the wrestlers are in trouble, usually, not the referee, for, you know, being stupid, for putting on a stupid show. It's like, well, either the ref doesn't call for a DQ and this is all garbage and you are, and, and we're not putting on a real show here. Which, like, it's it's like if the, the Avengers started calling each other by their actor names. You know, we all know who they are and what's going on, but you don't want to go to the movies and see that. I remember about 10 years ago, there was a push by the WWE. Like, they put out an edict to their referees saying, uh, start calling it for real. Like, start start um, calling DQs if people don't break holds at five or whatever. And they started doing it. And I think that might have had something to do with the whole Benoit tragedy. Because <laughs> uh. his very last match before he killed himself and his family, uh, he was disqualified seemingly... Uh, in, or someone in the match was disqualified and it didn't seem like that was supposed to be the finish and he seemed pretty hot about it. But uh, yeah, if, if you don't call it, then it looks terrible and you don't want that on your stage. It frustrates me because it puts me in a position where I'm, I am I can't win. I can't <laughs> win. No matter what I do here, it's going to look bad. Either the finish is ruined or, or it looks bogus. It looks bogus like I don't care. Doc, you just said how the re- when the wrestler gets to the back, usually they're the one in trouble, not the ref, if that kind of thing happens. Yeah. When we got to the back, he was the one in trouble. Right. But they asked me, did he tell you he was going to do them? I'm like, no. He's like, okay, next time you can disqualify him if that happens. You could have this time if you just wanted to be an asshole. <laughs> and I just didn't want to be an asshole. It was a place I'd never been. It was young guys working out their stuff. And then he found the wrestler that was in the match and chewed him out. <laughs> yeah. For not telling the ref he was going to do something like that. So I feel like, you know, anywhere where you get like, a bunch of young people, mostly dudes, who yeah. are hyper into working out and stuff. You're going to get people being really competitive. I guess I just don't understand what the point of that is in wrestling, right? <laughs> like, in any sport, MMA, anything, where you're, you know, fucking competing for yeah. something, I understand being competitive, but what's the point of being competitive as a wrestler? Obviously, there's a concept of, like, some people are better at it than other people, but why would you manifest that as being a dick to each other in a, in a situation where you are supposed to be collaborating. Oh, well, there's no point. I mean, you're competing for spots on the card, though. It's it's like actors beefing with each other yes. because they don't think yeah. they're getting enough screen time or True. something like that. Ben nailed it right there. It does not gravitate itself towards sports drama. It gravitates itself towards entertainment-based drama where everyone's competing for the same roles. Yeah. Everyone wants to be the lead actor. My uh, my mother sang opera for a number of years, and it uh, was it seemed to be a, an unofficial rule that um you shouldn't have friends who had the same vocal range that yeah. you did, because you might have to just bone each other out of a role at some point. Um, and then it's also the same thing. Like in comedy, it's the same thing. In yeah. music, it's the same thing. I guess we're like if you show if there's somebody who does basically the same thing that you do, and then you're kind of like. Well, if you're around, what's the fucking point of me being here? Then, yeah. you know, you're naturally going to have issues with each other. All right. So that that makes sense. That checks out. Right. And just everyone has egos. Yeah. Myself included. One of the best parts about doing commentary, which is what I've primarily been doing lately, is that, like, it's not that there isn't competition in commentary, but all of the wrestlers aren't out to get you. They all want you to make them look great. So they all want you to feel good about that. Something uh, that I noticed in this match is that you have to have a bunch of false endings in a match, it seems. Like, yeah. that's that's a that's a key to building tension. Especially, Depends on the match. Well, especially most of the matches we've shown you so far have been major main events, which is where mm-hmm. that happens. Sometimes you see a show where, like I said, the second match with several guys you don't care about do a lot of false uh, finishes, and it's like, don't do that. Don't do that. Do a finish. The people... Can we have the falsies later? I'm going on. This brings us to what I think is probably the most important part of this match, for our purposes at least, which is the big dramatic ref moment at the end. So, uh, Betsy, why don't you introduce that for us? So initially you have Jimmy Corderas in this match as the referee, and he's doing an amazing job. But at some point the big uh uh-oh happens and... Edge moves out of the way when Undertaker's going to boot him and Corderos goes down. And let me tell you, refs have one hit point. 
Yeah, that I that was my thought is that they seem so delicate. He folded yeah. like we a, have one hit yeah. point. We just we just go down the the slightest gust of wind. The, the, the advantage of having a guest referee, as we saw in the Bret Hart Austin match, is that they have more than one hit point. That's why you would bring in a guest. We'll get to that later. I also love Coderis when uh, Edge wants to go for the pin and Corderas is knocked out and he's like laying there on the apron and Edge goes to like pull him back into the ring but accidentally pushes him a little bit further and he just rolls out. (laughs) (laughs) I did not notice that, but that's great. And that he gets hit and he not only collapses but immediately collapses in such a way as he is covering his eyes and ears. (laughs) Yes, so he can't see or hear anything that happens behind him right? ever again. He he can't feel the mat bouncing up and down or the he's uh, he's he's ants he... in my eyes Johnson everything's black <laughs> yeah and he ends up unconscious for like five ten minutes which, yeah, which is uh, pretty ter- much means you're dead yeah right? that is super bad for it's you on a medical level Wait, and it's also because I imagine that refs <laughs> must be trained in first aid to some degree right because part of being a ref is coming yeah, over me like are sure. you okay oh good God you are not okay. You're no. trained on how to tell the 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 stage uh, the the students to go get ice. These days, they know how to patch up a wound, right? Because they don't want that much blood on TV. So uh. if someone bleeds accidentally, the ref the ref will take out this kit, which looks like I don't know glue. No, or the, something. the ref and gets out their their gloves, so they don't have to touch the blood. And then the doctor comes over. No, but for a little while, when WWE was really trying not to do the blood, the mm. ref would take out a whole kit, and it ruined. Oh, they several stopped the matches. match. Do you remember there was there was a Christian? There was one there. NXT match. I think it was Samoa Joe, Joe yeah. and, and Shinsuke Nakamura. And Joe was or, or was it Finn Balor? It no. was Joe, definitely. It was definitely Joe. Yeah, but no, I think it was Joe and Balor. Yeah, and Joe was pissed. Joe was really pissed. Yeah, it ruined the whole flow of the match because the ref was trying to patch up this pretty awful wound that Samoa Joe had. So, yeah, I guess that is uh, that might count as CPR. So then a bunch of ballyhoo and cheating happens, and a lot of stuff happens in the next couple minutes with there being no ref, which proves why there needs to be a ref, because in this, for the sake of the story, like, there's no ref. Look what happened. Well, Edge, the ultimate opportunist, had uh, was able to pull out his dirty bag of tricks. So Undertaker finally gets Edge down, goes for the pin. Oh, no, <laughs> nobody's home. Jimmy Corderas might be dead, <laughs> might actually be dead. Someone should really check on him. Someone should really check um, on him, yes. And it waits the perfect amount of time, the perfect amount of seconds of there being no ref to shoot to the top of the ramp where outruns Charles Robinson, one of the greatest referees of his generation, possibly of all time. They, I mean, they referred to him as if f- all fans would know, ah, yes, of course, yes, this guy. Which is like that has to really mean something. He had been refing since the early '90s, and before that, you can see him like sitting in the crowd, dressed as Ric Flair in the South. Yeah, (laughs) he came to notoriety because he looked kind of like a small version of Ric Flair. Yeah. So people started calling him Lil Nate. I noticed he did have an amazing haircut. He does. He still does. Oh, and that plays into the moment, too, because it's like the way the wind sort of blew. Yeah. Well, here's the conversation that I think happened backstage that year. I think they turned to Little Nate and they're like, Little Nate, Robinson, Chuck, we need we need you to run out there as though the Undertaker's WrestleMania streak depends on just how fast you can run. (laughs) And he got went and he nailed it. You just, it feels impossibly long as he just comes down the aisle. An enormous stadium. And then he just fucking sails in like a pro. (laughs) Oh, that's that's his hand already in the air. Hands in perfect. Sliding is, sliding is like advanced ref technique for me. Like, my slides suck, but that's one of the best slides of all best ref slides of all time, bar none. And then even under t- and then Edge kicks out. Ah! <laughs> right. So yeah, so he lands in perfect position to to make the count. Edge kicks out, and this is something I wanted to ask you about, Betsy. Is I think there's a couple different ways of thinking about this. Do you think that should have been the finish? Because that really, in some ways, was the 
uh, climax the emotion uh, of emotional excitement of the match. It goes on a little bit longer, and they do the whole Hell's Gate finish, and that ended up sort of leading into the storyline going on. And so, for storyline purposes, I understand why they went with the Hell's Gate. But do you think that you know, as a match, it would have been better if that was the finish? I don't. This is going to sound weird. I don't think it actively hurt the match that it wasn't the finish, but I think it would have been probably a better finish like it didn't ruin the match that it wasn't the finish the finish that they used was still really good but man that should have that should have been the finish (laughs) there's only one reason why i think maybe it was it was right for it not to be the finish which is that i think that might have been the only moment when it actually seemed like the streak was in jeopardy once Edge kicked out of the tombstone after that whole thing, that yeah. was the only genuine false ending. Could Edge really hang on through spite and evil to beat The Undertaker? And that is where, if you're hearing that in the background, that's just be, we've opened a hellstorm in the Hell's sky Gate. here in uh, New York City. I think that City, might actually so be worry. thunder. And then, oh, it's no, just no, no, thunder. It's definitely Hell's Thank Gate. Thank fucking Christ. I thought it was a Hell's Gate. Um, <laughs> I... Uh, Oh, maybe we, we, maybe the oh, Hell's Gate. I, the, it sounds like thunder. The I, Hell's Gate, a, a, aka the Gogo Plata in uh, yes. Jujitsu. Just you know. you're taking a Jujitsu class, Ben. <laughs> well, we all well, many, get it. <laughs> My name's Doc Drapelson, and I'm <laughs> oh. taking a Jujitsu class. I I am a ma- <laughs> I am a master of grappling with the mind. So now all that is left is for me to master the grappling of the body. That's that's what you sound like. A wrap up, a wrap up for the uh, for the match. Just a couple stray observations at the end. Oh wait, let me say one other thing about Jimmy Corderas. Um, sure is bald. Maybe this should go earlier, but um, I, I one of the things, the hard parts of refing that particular match, and I think that Jimmy Corderas did really well, is the balance between being afraid of these guys, particularly the Undertaker, but still being assertive enough to like control the match. So you have to kind of like be a little bit nervous, but overcoming that fear in order to be the authority. Do you ever have uh, find that it's, it's hard or um, that you have to put in effort to strike that balance between being sort of like um, sufficiently afraid of the wrestlers because they're they're big scary wrestlers but also maintaining your authority as an official oh yeah especially considering i'm a female ref that prime refs primarily male matches at this point it's really hard because i'm only five foot three (laughs) and almost every single one of these guys is taller or bigger than me in some way where male refs like they they're usually smaller than the wrestlers too but they don't have as much of a height difference usually i'm small even for a ref so i struggle not to just look petrified at all times it's one of the main things i struggle with sometimes i'm like it's just my face (laughs) it's it's just the way my face looks (laughs) And I mean, with one hit point, like you got to be pretty scared. Yeah, you got to you got to try to make sure that you don't get hit at all because you have that one hit point. Because if they do even like accidentally bump into you, you should probably take a bump. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Especially if it's like when I was refing all those Proteus wheel matches, they were all so much bigger than me. I always like Nick Patrick's like six foot tall, 240 pound, one hit point ref bump. He throws his arms in the air, stick them once again directly to his eyes and his ears, and then fall all the way down out of the ring. When guys sometimes half his size would elbow him a little bit in the side, and he's just like, oh no, I'm dead. Earl Hebner would like completely flip over yeah. sometimes. <laughs> Before we move on to the bad match, I uh, there was just one thing I need to clear up, which is at one point Edge throws the undertaker like onto some audience members yeah that seems like they i'm surprised that they can do that legally well i mean the spot works really well because from the camera angle you can't tell that there's even that much space as there was between Mm. the guardrail and the audience so there was like enough space kind of for undertaker's back but you can't see that from the original camera angle so it really looks like he's launched directly into their laps now, in smaller shows, especially in, in states where the State Athletic Commission isn't so strict, you'll see that kind of thing happen uh, with some regularity. There's a very famous shot from an ECW where Bam Bam Bigelow pressed Spike Dudley completely over his head, threw him all just into the audience, and the audience caught him and body surfed him around the audience for a while. 
There was that time that uh, BJ Whitmer power bombed Jimmy Jacobs into the audience at that ROH show that we oh were at, God. Doc, yeah. which looked insane until we realized that it wasn't actual audience members. It was like the ROH students. Well, they cleared the- they cleared the way, so Jimmy just landed on the chairs. Oh, well, there was that too. Oh, the yeah. oh, the other time. Yeah, that wasn't the one we were there for. That yeah. was the one. That was the really crazy one in Chicago. I think. Oh, okay, okay, yeah. Those guys had some some crazy spots. Yeah, Jimmy Jacobs don't walk too good these days, do he? Uh, no. This week's bad match was a match that I didn't honestly even fucking bother to rewatch. You're not I, missing much. Yeah, I, I I rewatched Undertaker Edge, and I'm glad I did because I enjoyed it a lot more. And then I started to rewatch this one and I was just like, I could, this is, uh, this is exactly what I'm talking about where I'm like, I could do anything else <laughs> that's not this. And that would be better. Like you could this have watched is the, Undertaker Edge for a third time. Yeah. Let, honestly, would have yeah. gotten a lot more out of it. Let's yeah. give you some background on TNA. Um, uh, oh, you guys take this cool. one. Well, I, one way that they're clearly better than all other wrestling is that they have fucking six sides to the ring. Six well, sides. That's, so that's like, I mean, this is a game changer. Is this even, I have, how so have other people sides. not experimented with this? They're too better than all other wrestling. It's actually a <laughs> Mexican wrestling thing. Traditional Lucha Libre rings are six sides. Oh, of course, of course yeah, yeah. it's just fucking white people stealing Stealing well, ideas, all the good stuff. And man, are the TNA people white. Oh, they're so white. The they're Carter so family, white. or the original owners. Right. The, the, original the Carter owners. family and who owned Panda Energy, which that's the that was the parent company. And then they got ran by Nazis for a while. Actual Nazis. Oh, the the the, the Harris boys yes. and their SS tattoos. Yes, they're oh, Nazis. Yes. And um, wait, maybe, they maybe I TNA? shouldn't call them Nazis. Well, they, they if you have an SS tattoo, you can call somebody a Nazi. I they think they were the heads of the yeah, booking. Yeah, committee. Evans, right? Ha yeah. ha, Nazi. I don't know how much of TNA they own, but they certainly uh, ran a bunch of it for a while. It's certainly Southern wrestling. It's it, yeah, it's the yeah. continuation of that tradition. But it was also just been terribly mismanaged for years and years and years, and yet has continued to exist. And it's just occupied this space in like not quite indie wrestling where it was sort of the de facto largest competitor to the WWE. But it was so terrible that it could never actually mm-hmm. um, usurp any of uh, the WWE's uh, share of the market. But it just had this like spoiler position that where like no other company could rise to to be that kind of competition because tna continued to exist it's, it's kind of like the libertarian party to the wwe's republicans absolutely to some degree. Y- yeah. you get a lot of crazy ideas some of them might be palatable but taken as a bunch yeah. of them it's not a philosophy like, that'll ever really hold water six sides to a yeah. wrestling thing great but like you know yeah privatizing water like yeah probably yeah not, not the deal yeah. apparently also the six-sided ring is a pain in the ass to I, work in i'm sure the, the ropes have to be tightened a lot harder Uh, it's really hard it's much harder to balance on the top rope because it's a wider angle i'm trying to think how you would even put one together i've never seen one like disassembled yeah how does that even work so this match starts oh hold on let's let's say the match oh yeah yeah please yeah yeah um, the Professor Abelson, you seem to be the only one that's remembered everybody in this match because it barely matters. It's Please so, give us the rundown. So it's the Monsters Ball match from Bound for Glory 2008 for the TNA Tag Team titles. The champions are Beer Money, James Storm, and Bobby Roode, which great who are team. actually a great team. They yeah. were amazing. They were in fact, good. actually, most of the participants in this match are quite talented. Yeah. The you problem have, was TNA. Right, exactly. And that that's constantly been the problem with TNA is they've had all this great talent and have just squandered them. So it was Beer Money. It was Team 3D, uh, formerly the Dudley Boys in ECW and WWE, who many think are the greatest tag team of all time. They're one of the most successful tag teams of all time. Yes. Um, then there's the original LAX, the original Latin American exchange of Homicide and Hernandez. Uh, Homicide, who we actually have mentioned before on this podcast. Yeah, another great wrestler, another yeah, very good team. Didn't we watch something that he was... Wasn't he in another bad match? No, no. We mentioned we were going that, to, maybe, but we didn't. We mentioned that he was in a good match on the same show as that bad ROH match. Okay. That scramble cage thing we watched. Um, and then there were uh, Abyss and Matt Morgan are the last team. I think we've talked about Matt Morgan <laughs> at some point as well, who was a guy who... 
had a lot of physical gifts, a lot of talent on on paper should have been a big star, but just like never really connected with the audience. Um, yeah, so that was everybody. And, you know, it's interesting because this is kind of like that scramble match, except the people involved are quite talented and all the individual parts aren't really bad. All it's just the kind of, individual parts. Well, not bad. all the individual parts. And that's, yeah, that brings us to the, to the point of us talking about this match, which is that one of the parts was quite faulty. And that was the special referee, Steve Mongo McMichael. Look out everyone. Here comes Mongo. Here comes Mongo. Yeah. So this match starts and he comes in and he looks both disinterested and entitled. <laughs> like he's both like he's like I don't give a shit about being here, but goddamn right you fucking people brought me here and you should worship me for it. And like he looks like he's about to come in and go into the ring and like order a sandwich from the ref or something. I don't mean that as him being a fat guy, but as in more just in terms of he is just he is here and everybody is beneath him and this whole thing seems beneath him. And also I'm looking at him like I don't know I don't know you, but I don't you don't seem like a person who there are a lot of things that are beneath you. <laughs> wow. <coughs> Maybe that's judgmental. Yeah. But then he no, proceeds right. to like really just look like an asshole throughout this whole match and not yeah. in a way that it looked like he was acting. Like no. I, like throughout this whole match I'm like I feel like that's how this guy is every day. He's mostly just standing there barely paying attention to the match. Well, while the competitors get more and more upset that their ref is so bad. Well, they were having this fast-paced contest with a lot of covers in it, and he's breaking the rhythm. It's like boom, 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 move, cover. One knee, the other knee. One, yeah. two, kick. Like Whether you like the style or not, it depends on its frenetic pace which he is interrupting with his his slow count. It you mentioned the knee thing. It's 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 an interesting contrast to what Evan was saying earlier about Charles Robinson's ability to just like slide in that ring faster and smoother mm. than you ever see anyone do it when he came ran down that ramp. And then here we go to a ref that can't move his knees. I mean, being able to get up and down is the one of the most critical parts of being a referee. Yeah, if you can't physically. do that, you have nothing. Yeah, and it's not like he has the time to get down and uh, get into a position where he can actually see the shoulders clearly to make the count. Yeah, and I mean, if you're not making the counts right, you once again, you don't have anything. That's These are the most integral parts of being a ref, and he was standing there failing at it. Refs seem to be, uh, like, there's the two key factors there appear to be in refing is that it's a very physical thing. There's a real physicality to it where you're following the match, you're communicating that you're engaged with the match, you know, like, and then there's a status where, you know, you, like you said, you have to be, like, scared enough of them, but also authoritative, and that's a complicated thing to get across physically. And this guy comes in and his physicality says... I'm f fucking not doing anything. Like, I'm here to get a check and go he home. Was, he came he out did. already checked out. Yeah, and his and his status is that like is that like I am truly uninvested in this match. And it seems it hacks away at the essential thing in wrestling. And this is the question that I'm still kind of dealing with. I can't tell how important it is for this to appear like a genuine competition that is being judged by real rules. I you mean, know? when you watch Stranger Things, is it important to you that it be realistic and feel like you're actually watching footage of some children get changed, chased by a scary, uh, a scary goo monster? Well, I mean, like, kinda, right? Like, kind, like every, yeah. like every story, we like the ones where people react. When you watch horror movies, all right, like I just watched Hereditary, and one thing I loved about that movie, this is not a spoiler or anything, but there's no part of Hereditary where you're looking at somebody like. Get out of the fucking basement, you idiot. <laughs> what, you know what? You deserve to die. And that's like an overwhelming majority yeah. of horror movies. And that's part of why it's effective is because there's no, there's nothing like that. You know, like, so that's the thing. Like, I get that everybody's watching the match and knows that it's fake. So, but it, then also here with this match, like, it's so, he's so uninvested and so clearly not 
enforcing it and like not giving it any appearance of being real. And then who fucking gives a shit? Who gives a shit that one guy stabbed another guy with a fork or whatever? Well, see, that's the thing. The ref had a shitty. the The match itself wasn't shitty. The ref made the match shitty. The ref makes or break the match. Yeah. Ma- breaks that match. And I mean. For most wrestling fans, yes, that veneer of being able to engage yourself and pretend like it's real in those moments is important. I've been in situations myself where I've messed up and shattered that illusion. I don't ever want to be in that position again. I've made it my mission in my career not to ever be in that position again where I was the ref that ruined someone's big moment. Yeah, and like in movies, you know, there's different degrees of realism that are going to be appropriate to... uh, the style or what you're trying to get across. But yeah, you, you, whatever those expectations are and are set at the beginning, you want to keep true to them. Yeah. That's, that's the key. Uh, the universe, like any kind of uh, fictional universe sets rules. And if you follow those rules, however outlandish or however tight they may be, then the people watching will be satisfied. But as soon as you break those rules, you know, then it, it doesn't matter anymore. So it doesn't have to do so much with, oh, the veneer of realism or not. You know, you'll, you'll see, uh, you know, Kota Ibushi versus a blow-up doll, and the crowd will be cheering every time the blow-up doll gets a near fall because they had established, okay, we know, but we're not going to blink if sure. you're not going to blink. And who's counting the pins for that blow-up doll? The, the ref? Exactly. The ref. The ref believes the blow-up doll can get you, so the fans Now, do. still in the match, the match with the blow-up doll does depend on it at least looking a little bit like the blow-up doll is actually doing the moves to Kota Ibushi. Well, Kota Ibushi right? is a genius, and that's another story entirely. So it has its own sort of standard of realism. Yeah. Like, great, we all know it's a blow-up doll, but in that split second, it really looks like the blow-up doll is delivering that Hurricane Rana. Are those multiple Canadian destroyers? That was amazing. Cody Bush is a genius. I mean, of course, that's also a commentary on the fact that with moves like a Hurricane Rana or a Canadian Destroyer, it's largely in the person taking the move such that, in fact, the person performing the supposedly performing the move doesn't really have to do anything. We'll have to watch this match oh, at yeah. some point. Oh, yeah, we'll get yeah. to, that, yeah. You'll, you'll, you'll like the more ridiculous sides of pro wrestling, which we haven't really, we haven't looked at any, like, new avant-garde stuff. You've seen the clowns yeah. and the kings. You've never seen any, like, actual artistic stuff. Anybody have any final thoughts on on refing? I feel like I get, I feel like I get a little bit more uh, what the purpose yeah. of refing is. I feel like I know kind of what to look for in a match. My main thing that I've always told anyone, not just you, about what's the point of there being a ref in a staged fight is the fight still has to have an end. If there was no ref in the ring, who would count the pinfall? Like the crowd? No, don't trust the crowd. (laughs) They'll just do what they want. So, yeah, that's an interesting question because there have been a few instances of matches without refs. Of yes. unsanctioned matches, and I actually just watched the one, in, the recent one in Chikara. Yes, the chain um, match, correct? And, yeah, and in that one, actually, the crowd did sort of make the count. Yeah. At but, the end. But yes, the but that was the thing. That was like a special scenario. It's something I always thought about because I remember in junior high school when they did the whole Marvel versus DC comic book thing and they had like one-on-one matches yeah. and it, which had winners and losers. But it was kind of like, well, how do you really decide that it's over? You know, that someone really won and the other, like if the other guy ends up getting up five minutes later and jumps the other person, is that a new match? Is that a new fight? So I guess as someone who grew up- wound. Yeah, I, I guess as someone who grew up and didn't get into a lot of fights as a kid, <laughs> like I didn't have a clear sense of like when a fight is definitively over. Yeah. And so I needed what is presented in wrestling as like an official determination of that. And without that, it's like, yeah, I can't really get a clear sense of who's a winner and loser. But I guess, you know, if I had been knocked out a few more times, maybe well, I would. That's the sporting aspect. I can help with that. That's why Betsy will beat the crap out of you. The, the, but that's, that's, sure. what, that's the sporting aspect. That's what makes, that's the difference between it being, you know, professional wrestling, the simulated sport, and professional wrestling, just two guys pounding on each other. So everybody is going to plug their pluggables. Uh, you can find me on Twitter and Facebook at Evan Burke, etc. That's Evan Burke, E-T-C. You can also find my writing at evanburke.biz. It's Burke, B-U-R-K-E. 
you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at ScribeBen. Um, you can find some of my academic work on my academia.edu page, uh, if you have one of those yourself. And um, you can find me in your worst nightmares. And you can find me on Twitter at uh, Dr. Diamond Fire. That's at Dr. Diamond Fire. At me if you'd like to book me to wrestle, commentate, ring announce. I do a little bit of everything. And uh, and our guest, Betsy, where can people find you on the internet or perhaps in real life? You can find me either on the internet or on Twitter at B. Chikaros, where you can also find my booking information. You can find me in real life majestically riding the back of Bubbles through the streets of Philadelphia. Bubbles is real at Bubbles the Bear 3. Bubbles is a real actual bear. I quickly want to point out that uh, yes. even though this is a podcast filled with foul language, Doc does work clean. If you listen to the podcast, Doc works clean. Thank so, you, Evan. So, like, recognize that. If you'd like me to work dirty, I can work dirty. But y- you request that. I don't just come out all foul and then you ask me to tone it down. Um, I-, I work a little dirty in XSW, but that show is at a comedy club at midnight. And that's all I have yeah, to say that's about appropriate. that. So, uh, you can also... Uh, please support us on Patreon at patreon.com slash contesting wrestling. Um, we are going to have a bunch of bonus content up there soon that will make it worth your while, um, including watch-alongs, bonus episodes, stuff like that. And uh, we, you can f- look in the notes for this episode and find our Twitter handle because I have not created it yet, but it'll be in there. Um, and you can just follow the show if you don't want to follow us individually. And yeah, please support us on Patreon so we can bring you more and better stuff and so we don't have to work anymore. Um, Book me to, to uh, be on your wrestling show. Yeah. I don't want to sell crystal meth anymore, guys. Cool. I oh. would like to continue selling crystal meth, but it's hard uh, on my day job salary. So support this podcast. That's so every I can Bruce sell Springsteen song you ever heard, I think. It is, you know, I've yeah. been listening to a lot of country music lately, yeah, and yeah. Uh, you know, it's a, well, that's a whole other thing. It's a whole other story. Alrighty, thank you. This has been contesting wrestling.